Welcome to Sermon of the Moment. This is the show where we find some of the best sermons out there, and we share them with all of you to encourage and equip you to walk with Jesus. Today, we're going to hear a sermon by Elevate Church in Limerick, Ireland. And this sermon was actually selected by my friend Wavy Cowper, a church planter in Limerick, Ireland. I'm going to let Wavy tell you why he picked this sermon. Here's Wavy now. I thought these sermons were particularly good because a lot of people struggle with mental health issues. And the pastor, Dermot, he is very open and very honest in them about his own struggles, the things that he's been through, um, the things that he's faced, the things that he continues to face in a way that I have very seldom seen from a pastor. He's very clear and open and honest about what he's been through. And then he's through that, he has found principles of what the Lord has done and what the Lord has shown him of how to deal with his mental health issues that can be applied to other people, um, to people who are hearing the sermons. And so yeah, I think it's very good. Um, mental health issues are something that are, um, especially in Ireland, not talked about a lot, but very prevalent. And even Dermot in the sermon, he'll talk about that and he'll talk about the 52 or 53 percent of people who struggle with them in Ireland and 58 percent who know people who struggle with them. Um, so, yeah, it's it's just it's a very big issue and not talked about enough. And here's this good, godly man who's been through this and is going through this, talking honestly and openly about his experience and about what God has shown him and what God has taught him and what he can bring to pastor his community and help them to learn um, about how God sees them and about how God can help them in their mental issues as well. Thanks, Wavy. Here's the sermon. It's called Escape Room Anxiety from Elevate Church in Limerick. Let's listen now. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Fabulous. <laughs> They kind of caught me off guard there. <laughs> if you're visiting, you're very welcome. My name is Dermot. Um, you came on a great week. It's our, it's our last um, sermon in a series called Escape Rooms. And if you're unfamiliar with, with Escape Rooms, um, about this series, really, I, I just want to give you a heads up that I think for a lot of people, it's kind of been bringing up stuff and, and challenging them. Um, in a lot of different ways. I know it's been, it's been hard uh, on me even br- bringing up some stuff and having to, to face some things. And um, what I kind of want to emphasize at the beginning really is what I emphasized last week was if it is bringing up stuff for you, don't ignore it. Like really lean into it and, and find a, if it's a professional counselor you need or, or pastoral care or whatever you need, but don't, don't not do something. Like, like don't, don't just ignore it to, to, to seek out the, the help you need. But for those of you who are visiting, this kind of series came around by um, the escape rooms that are, are, that are popping up all over, all over Limerick. And you might, you might have been to one. There, there are rooms where you pay to get frightened. Like, what a genius idea. Like, you're, you're paying somebody to stress you out. Like, that's, that's an incredible business model. You go into these rooms, you get clues... You work on tasks and with a team under a certain time limit, and you have to try and get out. 
And that's what it does. It simulates this kind of excitement or, or this fear of having a sense of panic, and it gets the adrenaline running and the heart racing and, and all these things and the feeling of being, being trapped. And that's what you're paying for. And this series is really about that's people's lives too. That when people feel like this in life, there's nowhere for them to run to. That every location and every spot they go to is an escape room that they can't escape their anxiety because wherever they run to, it's right there waiting for them. Or they can't escape their depression because where they run to, it's, it's right there waiting for them, that, that it's just a part of their life and that each and every day they have to live with this. And if, if it's your first week here, you, you really need to go back and listen to the first two messages in this series because although they're not built on each other, it'll give you a whole new context to, to what we're, we're talking about. And we, we kind of, not discovered, but... but um, made known that over half of the people in Ireland are going, to dis- are going to personally suffer with some form of mental health issue. And people in the church aren't immune to it. That, that nearly 60% of people in Ireland are going to deal with a friend or family member that struggles with mental health issues. That, that it, it's a very real thing for, for us all to be aware of. And, and this series, our hope and our, and our prayer throughout this series is that no, ma- no matter what you believe, you know, that, that you know that there's hope that you know that there is a way out, that, that somebody does care about you. And most of what I'm going to share today are mistakes I've made through, through kind of my journey and things I wish I knew long before now. Um, so I'm kind of giving you a heads up on, on things not to do, for the want of a better word. You know, last week, we, we approached the topic of anxiety and how anxiety for people is so difficult to deal with. But, but in order for us to deal with anxiety, we really need to take captive our minds. That unless we, we take cap, captive our minds, that all anxiety begins is a battle for the mind. And Romans 12 verse 2 talks about renewing our mind. Well, what are we exposing ourselves to? How are we going to make sure what we know in our mind travels to our heart? And today the approach we're taking is very similar to last week. And you know, it's a very similar thing we're going to do. But today we're going to be talking on the topic of depression. And how do you deal with it? How do I deal with it? As a church and as a community, how should we deal with it? Because I think as, as a church, you know, a lot of times we, we can approach it in two different ways, which is, you know, I'll pray for you, wonderful. We need to pray. We, we absolutely need to cover that person in prayer. But then what can we practically do to help people who are, who are suffering with it? Now, there's one disclaimer to this message. <laughs> if you suffer from depression, you need to seek medical help. You need to do it. You need to go and see. Sometimes there can be a chemical imbalance or whatever it may be, but you need to seek medical help. What I'm talking about in today's message is what to do after that, after you've done this. Because if there's, if there's a chemical deal that you're facing depression with, what we're talking about might help, but it, but it certainly isn't a place to begin. You need to seek medical help first and then apply these, these things. Because for a lot of us, um, feeling depressed can, can be normal, but, but what I want us to do is kind of differentiate between what depression is and it isn't. Now, feeling sad is not depressed. We all feel sad. Feeling sad is a very, very, very normal part of life. It, it's something that we all experience. I mean, sadness can be felt when a, when a loved one dies or a relationship ends or, you know, to stop making law and order. I mean, I was really sad when they stopped making it. Or when you don't get a job, or, or even the college you apply for, you don't get it. The sadness is, is normal, but the thing with sadness is it's normal, normally temporary. temporary. 
Sadness shouldn't last a long time. That even if, if you're sad, oftentimes it can expand maybe into the, into the realm of grief, which is, which is a little different. But feeling sad or even grieving, it shouldn't last a long time. You know, and it's okay to face those things. But if it lasts any longer, you could be flirting in the area of depression. And depression can be a very, very serious thing because it not just affects us physically, but obviously psychologically. And a simple pill isn't going to fix your depression. It's not a pill for every ill. You know, a pill might, might ease symptoms, but it certainly, certainly doesn't heal. And the physical effects of depression are often, you know, changes in appetite or aches and pains or low energy or, you know, things like that. But more so psychologically, it's, it's a low mood. It's that, that feeling of hopelessness. It's that feeling of, of helplessness or guilt or irritability or difficulty making decisions or can't get out of bed. And my hope is that, that as a church, if you feel that way, you, you'll be met with understanding and, and grace and, and patience because everyone is there at some stage. So how do we as a church, are we going to deal with that? And, and as a heads up or a, I guess an affirmation that, that if you're a follower of Christ, you can still get depressed. Being depressed as a Christian doesn't make you bad. It doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. You know, it doesn't mean that, that there's, there's stuff in your life that you need to get rid of. Can it mean those things? Sure. Does it normally? No, it doesn't. See, the best followers of Christ all throughout Scripture were depressed. David, 42 Psalms about his depression, crying out to God for help, wanting help. As a matter of fact, the prophet Habakkuk, if you open up your Bibles, there's some of you like, there's a book in the Bible called Habakkuk? <laughs> there's, come on, guys. Second service, low energy. Give, give us a, right, Habakkuk, verse 1. He, he's a prophet. And Habakkuk writes this, chapter 1, verse 2. How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen. How many of you felt like that? See, Habakkuk's feelings weren't reality. When Habakkuk cried to the Lord, was the Lord listening? Was the Lord listening? Yes, yes he was. But he felt like he wasn't. But you don't listen. Or you cry out violence, but you do not save. Habakkuk was seeking God, but yet he felt like God wasn't there. I mean, I think during depression, a lot of times people seek out God, but feel like they're alone. And it's okay to wrestle. It's okay to wander or cry or to fight with God about what he's doing. We see it, we see it all the time in Scripture. It's okay to question God's activity, but not his identity. It's okay to question God's activity, but not, or, or another way of putting it is embrace the who while you wrestle with the why. Embrace the who. You know who God is. Embrace that. But question what he's doing. That, that's perfect. God isn't offended, <laughs> or he's not insulted, or he's certainly not put off. When we wrestle with him, you're allowed to question what God does, but you're not allowed to question who he is. <laughs> You can question what he does. And it, it's okay to do that. And when you're in an escape room, when you're depressed or anxious, no, we, we want to do those things. You know, we, we want to question God. But what we have to be careful of, if you're a follower of Christ this morning, what we really need to be careful of is, am I just looking for a genie in a bottle to fix where I am? Am I just looking for some God to fix me but not be a part of my life? Or another way of saying it is, am I solely looking for a way out? Or am I looking for a way to let God in? Am I just looking for a way out of how I feel? 
or am I looking for a way to let God be a part of my life? Because when we cry out to God, fix us, but don't be a part of my life, what we're telling them is, I just want you to help me when I'm in need, but not to, to be a part of what I'm doing. And we need, we need to start taking note, I think, and appreciating everything God does for us. See, God is active in our lives each and every day, but do we notice it? Do we, do we take the time to stop and, and give him praise for it? You know, there's a... There's a um, have any of you ever bought a car or went to buy a car, new or secondhand, and you picked out the car you wanted, like a Honda Civic? And as soon as you pick out the car, all of a sudden, you see that car everywhere. Or you go to buy a watch or a piece of clothing or a phone, and all of a sudden, you begin to see that phone everywhere. Now, the number of cars didn't increase, and the number of phones didn't increase. It's just your awareness of them increased. In sociology, they call it, <laughs> I have to pronounce it, <laughs> semi-conic awareness. And what happens is when we have a vested interest in something, we begin to notice it. But when we actually take note or take an interest in something, like if I'm buying a Honda Civic, all of a sudden I see Honda Civics. And oftentimes when people look around, they say, God isn't anywhere, he's not, he, he, you know, he doesn't exist. Well, have we taken the time and stepped back and have a vested interest? Hold on, he's working all the time. You see, depression isn't selective by belief. Depression will grow in anyone who feeds it. You know, all over Scripture, it tells us, do not worry. All over Scripture, it tells us, don't worry. And the reason it does that is, worry, if it's not dealt with, will lead to anxiety. Anxiety, if it's not dealt with, will lead to chronic fatigue. And fatigue leads to depression. And Scripture tells us, nip it in the bud. See, when we're worried, what do we normally do? We try and fix it ourselves. Even when we have anxiety, oftentimes we try and fix it ourselves. Oopsies. But if we can nip it in the bud and say, no, 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 I'm going to seek the help, I'm going to seek God in this, then we can avoid anxiety and depression. See, with the time I've left, what I really want to try and do is, is share with you the mistakes I've made and I wish I had known. Because if I had known these things back in the day, if I had known these things, not only knew them, if I actually believed them and put them into practice, this, thank you, um, put them into practice, thank you very much, um, then I would have saved myself a whole lot of issues. I would have saved myself a whole lot of anxiety. And I want you to know that if you are suffering with depression specifically, like we're going to talk about, we know they're not easy, but, it, but it's doable. And the first thing I, I want, to, want to challenge you and wish I had known was challenge your thoughts. Challenge your thoughts. See, depression often twists our thinking. We talked a little bit about this last week. It twists our thinking. And what we do is we focus on our feelings rather than the truth. And oftentimes depression brings around a, a severe lack of hope. It brings lack of hope personally and relationally and professionally and socially. The problem is, as we know, we need hope to cope. In order for us to cope with life, we, we need a form of hope. We have to challenge our thoughts. What we expose ourselves to is going to have the biggest impact. I said it last week, you can't watch 23 hours of telly and read your Bible for 20 minutes and think Scripture's influencing you. That's not how it works. What we expose ourselves to influences us. So what are you hearing? What are you thinking? What are you, what are you believing? The battle for anxiety and depression all starts in the mind. That's why Scripture says in, in Romans 12, renew it. Renew our minds. 
See, we, we have to limit our exposure to the things we know stress us out. We have to do it. We all know our triggers are what stre stresses us out. We have to limit it. Do you know the average 11-year-old today has the same anxiety as an adult in the 70s? Why does an 11-year-old today have that much anxiety? Because we're exposed to too much. We have to limit them. Parents, limit them. Their children, take the iPhones off them and take the iPads off, whatever it is. Limit them. Limit yourself. Our kids gave Marina a little bit of a kick last night. Our daughter, Samantha, turned around to us and said, uh, you're always on your phone. And Marie gave me a look, and Samantha beautifully said, so are you. <laughs> and I was like, yes! But you know what? It was true. We are. Do, we, do I want my kids to remember me always being on my phone? No, I don't. So I'm going to have to stop that. I'm going to have to stop it, because what we expose ourselves to, as a matter of fact, open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. It's going to be on the, the, the screen too. We demolish arguments and every presentation and sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And Here's, here's the, the bit I want to read. And we take captive every thought and make it what? Obedient to Christ. How do we make our thoughts obedient to Christ? We measure what we're thinking against God's truth. That's how you do it. You measure what you're thinking to God's truth. You see, for, for years, as long as I can remember, I never remembered this not happening to me. That, that, that's how long this has is, this is gone on. And the day, the kind of day I had, it didn't matter. I could have a great day or a bad day. The location would never matter. I, I could literally be in Hawaii or be in Limerick. The, the location would have no effect on this. But as, as long as I can remember, every morning I wake up, I shared a bit about depression last week, every morning I wake up, the first thought that pops into my head is, kill yourself. Every morning. 365 days a year. I don't know why it is. I've spoken to hundreds of people about it. Every single morning, that's what I wake up with. This morning, that's what I woke up with. I have to challenge my thoughts every single day. Day. And I have a system now. I, I know how to manage it myself. But you know what it's like to know you have a great life, a great family, kids, job, like it's great. And to know you're going to wake up thinking like that. It's horrible to wake up thinking like that. But it's challenging my thoughts. Whoever knows me well knows I have the most outrageous taste in music. It's horrible. I have a, such a broad range. I have playlists on my phone that I listen to each day. Depending on the day, some days are worse than others, but every single morning I would listen to some music when I wake up to put my mind in a frame that I can challenge those thoughts. And I have to challenge them every single day. Because if I don't, then I know where it can lead. But I have to believe God's truth over my thoughts. And I don't know if it will ever stop, but what I do know is each and every day I wake up choosing a certain behavior because I need to renew my mind, like Scripture says. Which leads me to the second thing that we need to do, which I wish I had known, was we have to make the decision that you want to get well. Make the decision you want to get well. There's a great passage of Scripture where, where Jesus goes to a paralyzed man 
He'd been paralyzed for 38 years. He met him at the, the pool of uh, Bathsheba. And he asked him a very strange question after he was paralyzed for 38 years. He asked him, do you want to get well? Why would he ask that? Because let's face it, some people love being miserable. They love it. They breathe on it. They're not happy if they're not miserable. So the question is, do you want to get well? Some people don't. Some people really don't want to get well. They like feeling sorry for themselves and they like the pity parties. See, happiness isn't the result of our circumstances or, or perfect health. Happiness is it's a choice. Philippians 4 verse 4 says, Paul tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. Just we're supposed to rejoice in the Lord all the time. If we're only happy when everything's ideal, we're never going to be happy. You're somewhere in life you have to choose to be joyful despite of your problems. Jesus told us, he says, you know what, in this world you're going to have troubles. It's going to happen. But be of good cheer and take heart. I've overcome the world. There's a, there's a book you can get on Amazon that I'd recommend you get. It's called Chicken Soup for the Soul. And um, a lady by the name of Frances wrote it. But she had a friend called Jerry. And Jerry, was a, he was a restaurant manager. And her and Jerry used to always kind of go back and forth. And she'd be saying to Jerry, how are you in a good mood all the time? She really thought him, thought he was kind of fake. And every time she asked Jerry how he was, he'd say, if I were any better, I'd be twins. That's what he'd say. And she was like, you, you cannot possibly be happy all the time. She didn't believe it. And Jerry said, when I wake up in the morning, I have two choices. I can choose to be happy or I can choose to be sad. And I choose to be happy. Well, Jerry was a restaurant manager. And um, unfortunately, the, the restaurant got robbed. And he was shot several times. So he spent 18 hours in an operating theater, um, weeks in, in intensive care. And afterwards, uh, Francis went and interviewed him. And, and this is an excerpt from, from the book. Here's what he said. He said, when I was lying on the, on the floor, I remembered I had two, two choices. I could choose to live or I could choose to die. And I chose to live. The paramedics were engaged when they wheeled me into the emergency room and I saw the expression on the doctor's faces. I got really scared because their eyes read, he's a dead man. And I knew if I didn't take action, it wasn't going to work out well. There was, a big, there was a big burly nurse shouting questions at me and asked, are you allergic to anything? As the question was asked, the doctor stopped and the nurses paused, waiting for a reply. He said, yes, I'm allergic to bullets. <laughs> he said, over the laughter I told him, I'm choosing to live. Operate on me like I'm going to survive. See, Jerry lived, obviously thanks to the, the skill of the doctors, but, but to God's grace, he survived. And Frances went to see him six months after the accident, and she said to him, how are you doing? And he said, if I were any better, I'd be twins. That's the mindset we have to have. It's choosing to be happy. Let me ask you, do you want to get well? Do you want to? See, Proverbs 23, 7 says, as someone thinks within himself, so he is. So he is. See, choosing the opposite to what you feel is okay. Choosing the opposite to what you feel is okay. Write this. If you're going to write anything down, write this. Hypocrisy is not acting contrary to what you feel. Hypocrisy is acting contrary to what you believe. Right? Hypocrisy is that. See, if I feel sad, it's okay to be happy. You know how you do it. Living the dream. That's okay. 
But if I claim I have the joy of the Lord in me, I know the truth, Christianity, Christ is the only way to heaven, and I'm walking around like I'm drinking vinegar, that's hypocrisy. Telling people that we have Christ, the Holy Spirit, living within us, that we know the way to salvation and walking around miserable, that's hypocrisy. Putting on a a face and saying, you know what, life is good, that isn't hypocrisy. If we were to act how we felt all the time, see, the truth is our feelings follow our actions. And if we act a certain way, eventually we begin to feel it. It's not fake to, to, to put on a smile when you're feeling sad. See, you might feel like there's no hope, but the truth is there's always hope in Christ. And the last thing I, I want to encourage you to do, the last mistake I made that I had to change was have the courage to confront your depression. Have the courage to confront it. See, depression in a lot of cases, you know, it, it can be caused by a lack of hope in something or in someone. And when that goes away, you kind of get depressed. Maybe a broken marriage or a loss of a job or a friendship or a death or whatever it may be, rejection. When our expectations aren't met, oftentimes we feel depressed. But the sad thing is, a lot of people who feel depressed are people who have had their expectations met and it didn't bring them happiness. When I get this, I'll be happy. And there isn't happiness found in it. See, that's why when you, when you look at studies done of, of sex addicts or alcoholics or drug addicts or whatever it may be, a lot of people in addiction are depressed. Not necessarily because they're addicted to something, because they were told if they'd done it, they'd find joy. And, and it's not there. So a great question to ask a person in, or ask yourself with depression is, what am I hoping in? Or what was I hoping in? And it let me down. What was my expectation? that wasn't met. Because facing our depression often means coping with pain that that seems a bit too much to bear. It it often can seem overwhelming or frightening, which is why if you're gonna face in to what's causing your depression, you need a support system. You have to have a good support system. You you can't do it on your own. You might think you can, but but you really really can't. Your, Your willingness to heal and to capture your thoughts is one of the hardest things you're going to have to do. It's one of the hardest things that somebody you know with depression is going to have to do. You know, about five years ago, it was, it was five years ago, um, I went through probably the worst season of my life. In the 35 years I've been here, the, the, probably the worst season of my life. I didn't even tell Marie the majority of it. As a matter of fact, she only found out most of it last night. But a lot of it was, you know, I felt... And again, let, let me really communicate this. How I was feeling wasn't necessarily reality. So this isn't like a, a blame thing. How I felt wasn't reality. But I would put on a brave face and suck it up and do what I needed to do. But I felt so much. We just kind of started the church. And I felt like everybody expected me to know what I was doing. And I can tell you six years later, I still don't know what I'm doing. So don't put that expectation on me, right? Don't do that to me. But the pressure is starting the church, and, and you know, there was the practicalities of that, and then I had never really wrote a sermon before, and I'm writing those, and then trying to raise money for the church, and then trying to raise money for a salary and a family and school, and just the bombardment of endless criticism. Just everything from the coffee tastes like tea to why do you go red when you speak to what's the theological effect of predestination? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, 
I just felt like everything was just crushing in. Everything was just, just really, like, just pounding down at me. And honestly, about five years ago, I was like, Do you know what, is it worth it? Is, is, it, is, it even, is it even worth it? And going through that, and I wasn't coping well with, with all of that, and then with my own anxiety and, and, and mental health stuff, I wasn't coping well at all. But the, the thing that kind of sent me over the edge was, some of you remember this, Marie got pregnant um, with twins, but she ended up having a, an ectopic pregnancy. But, but what I never told people um, about that situation was, before that, that happened, um, I came home from work one day, and I'd been out all day, and uh, there was people in the house, I can't remember who, but I went up to the room and I just remember her lips being blue. It, it was like somebody hired her to haunt the house. I mean, she was just as white as a ghost, just as, just as white as a ghost. So I remember we literally had to carry her down the stairs and put her into the car, and as we're blazing to the hospital, we, we get there, and um, we get into the, the room, and I don't remember who the doctor was, but, but I remember it going up on the monitor. And all that was on the monitor was, was just a black screen with, with little heartbeats. And it was her face is, is what caught me. I remember I was standing here, and with her left hand, she just pushed me out of the way and grabbed the phone and said, we need an operating theater right now. That she had about 20 minutes, this is what she said, before she bled out. It was that image, it was the silly things that, that stick with you, that that image and, and the monitor, probably for two or three months, I couldn't get that image out of my mind, that, that it stayed right in front of me. Every time I spoke to somebody, every time I did something, that image just stayed there for months. Got up to the operating theater, um, I was outside obviously, and I remember the, the walkie-talkie going and, and the blood was coming from the regional. Like, I remember hearing the sirens for, for some reason. And it was that moment sent me over the edge of, hold on, we were just, went from being pregnant to now everything is, is kind of gone. And Marie wasn't doing well. She, she's obviously here, so she's fine. But you know, everything else had kind of crumbled. Everything else had kind of, kind of fallen apart. And of course, you know, the following day, I think this happened on a Friday and Sunday, and, how are you? I'm fine, you know, and, and putting on the face again and just kind of going through the motions. I didn't know I was in shock. I had no idea I was in shock. So she was in um, hospital for about a week with this. But what happened was I still couldn't get that image of the computer screen out of my face. And I really thought I was going mad. I, I thought I was going insane. I, I couldn't get it out. But then what... what really tipped me over the edge into really severe depression was when that shock moved to grief. Because what I didn't realize was the hospital phoned me. I was like, what do you want to do with the bodies? I'm like, excuse me? And that made me go, it kind of hit me a little bit reality and it moved into, into grief. I said, I don't know. So Marie and I spoke about it briefly. It was very difficult to talk to her about this. So we went to the hospital, a friend of mine owns a funeral home, and I got, a, got the caskets, casket and got the babies. And um, we put them in the coffin, and we went and got a grave and, and done our thing. We did, I didn't tell anybody about this. Uh, Marie did. And um, so we, we went and, and we did this. And, and I can remember putting them in and closing the casket and, and the person working there, we 
put them in the, the ground. And afterwards, I remember, I remember walking away and I remember thinking, I didn't cover them up. I didn't, I didn't cover them up. And I knew then I would regret it, but I didn't realize how, how much I would because all that kept going through my mind, especially when, when it was cold out or frost, was the babies are cold. The babies are, are, are cold. When it's cold out, they're, they're going to be cold. And it kept going through my mind all the time. Why were the babies cold? You know, especially when there was frost out. And I, I thought I was going nuts. And I couldn't really do anything. I would just smile. And then when I wasn't smiling, I was crying in my car. I'd cry to work. I'd cry from work. And I just constant this image was still in front of my mind. Now I know I was having a, a functioning breakdown. I didn't know that at the time. But one day, I remember I was, I was praying. I was like, God, look, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. And I, I don't know how many months it was later, probably over a year later, I get a phone call from a lady. And um, the lady, I had met her maybe once before. I didn't know who she was. Really, I didn't know her. Um, and she said, you want to meet for a coffee? And I said, sure. So when we met, she, she was shaking when we met. And uh, I was thinking, oh, great, yeah. Here we go, load more, I mean. So um, she uttered words, I've never done this before. And I was thinking, what are we doing? <laughs> like, I didn't know her. I didn't know who she was. And she said, I, I've, I've not, this has never happened to me before. And I said, what, what's going on? She said that, that for a couple of weeks now, I really felt God asking me to do this. But it's the strangest thing. I, I don't know what it is. And I was confused, and she was confused, and I was like, what, what's wrong? And she handed me a bag, and in the bag was a blanket. And I knew then that it was God just said, you have to stop worrying about these kids being cold. You have to stop. It's okay. It's going to be okay. Because my going around in my mind constantly was the babies are cold. That's kind of what I clung on to. And I was like, it's, it's going to be okay. But that had sent me into just a spiral of depression on top of the other crap I was going through. And it was that moment when God really stepped in and said, you know what, you need to, you need to suck it up and start facing into your depression. So I did. And it was that moment when, when I started the healing process, I would say. And honestly, I mean, it happens more frequently, you know, now that I can kind of admit it, that you know, even now when it's frosty out, I get really upset. But not depression upset, just grieving upset for the want of a better word, okay upset. I get sad. But, but that's okay, because you know, we're, we're on that, that journey now to, to heal it. And the reason I'm telling you all this is, that was, that was one of my pickles in, in dealing with depression. That when people would come to me about stuff, the coffee's cold, I had bigger fish to fry. <laughs> I didn't care. I didn't care. Nobody knew that. It wasn't anyone's fault. It was my fault for not sharing with people. It was my responsibility to tell people. You see, we're partners with God, and we need to realize this. We're partners with God. I can't do God's part, and he won't do mine. And unless we lean into God and walk towards God and ask him for help, he can't do anything. So, so let me close out with this. Your anxiety or depression or your mental health, it needs to be dealt with. It has to be dealt with. Now, you have two choices. You can deal with it on your terms and face it or you can deal with it on your mental health issues terms, which isn't going to end well. 
It isn't going to end well if you do that. I know if I heard this message three years ago, I probably would have ignored it. I probably would have ignored it. But I, and the reason I would have is my feelings weren't reality, but I would have felt like nobody else has gone through this, it's fine. I'll, I'll just push it down again. So I'm not saying this is easy, but what I am saying is it needs, it needs to be done. Because I, unless we're, we're going to face into it, we can never deal with it. And as a church, I don't know what y'all are facing. I don't know what you've all been through, your hurt or rejection or pain. I don't know it all, but God does. God knows exactly what you've been through. And we have to take the courage to face into it and to deal with, with what, what we're going through because I didn't admit it. I knew it, but I didn't admit it. And, we, and that's what we need to do is, is open up to it. It's not easy to face into pain. I know it. I'm still on that, that journey of healing that pain. I still deal with depression all the time. I know it's not easy. But God is right here with us. Listen to what he says in, in Revelation 21. He says this. This, this is a promise. He says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, sorrow, or crying, or pain. And all these things are gone forever. What you're experiencing now isn't permanent. It isn't going to last forever. It's not always going to be like this. You have a choice. You can start ending it now or when we stand before the throne. You can start dealing with it now. I don't, as I said, I don't know what you're all going through, but I can tell you this, and I, and I want to reaffirm this. We will never know unless you tell us. We will never know what you're going through unless you tell us. And I understand that telling us requires trust, and trust requires that you know us, and knowing us requires you spending time with us. Get to know us and get to trust us, and then we can share. But don't go through it alone. Don't believe the lie I believed that you have to go through it alone. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that um, we know we're not alone. We know it academically. We know it in our minds. I pray you help us know it in our hearts. That we don't have to go through this on our own. That you're always with us. You're always around us. You're here to support us. And I pray for the courage for everybody here that if they're going through something or know somebody that's going through something, that we can have the courage to support each other, to feel your presence with us, that we never have to face this on our own and believe the lie of Satan that, that we're on our own in this. That you want to comfort us and you want to heal us. And I pray we have the courage to do that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sermon of the Moment on the Good Lion Podcast Network. We hope this message encouraged you. To find more great content, check out our website, goodlion.io. And if you want to hear more from Pastor Dermot, check out ecclimerick.com. Thanks for listening. May the love of Jesus go with you.